0: Here with another episode of Hear the Spear presented by Noel Game Day. I'm Ryan Stalder, accompanied by my co host Ethan Vaughn. We will be welcoming special guests, former Florida State linebacker Nick Moody, later in the show. Uh, As always, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, What's going on, Ethan?
1: Not a whole lot, man. What about you?
0: Just ready to talk about uh, the the Duke game, uh, what we saw from it. It was perhaps the least interesting game as far as takeaways. But on the flip side, we have the Louisville game that we're going to preview, which might be the most interesting game as far as what what we're looking forward to uh, this season so far.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Duke was pretty just boring. The game, the game had like a one-hour first half. I couldn't believe you know, how quick it flew by and, and just how boring of a game it was in general. So I'll uh, get into it a little bit. There's some things you can take away from it, but not a whole lot. And then, as you said, moving forward to a really intriguing uh, FSU versus Louisville matchup this weekend.
0: Absolutely. So we did this segment last week and I think I think it was good and I want to do it again. Uh that we did the good and the bad from the game, just bounced back some some things we saw that were good and then also things we saw that we didn't like. Uh so we can start with good and I'll let you go first. What were what was one positive you, you
1: saw in this Duke
0: game that you could take away?
1: Just a continuation of um, Cam Akers maturation. Uh he finally got his big his big run that he was on the verge of getting for a couple weeks now. You could see him kind of getting close to breaking a big one, knew he had the ability to, and he finally broke it off, and it ended up being what won the game for Florida State in terms of his 42-yard touchdown run. So just just kind of seeing how he's growing up, how just over the course of now five games into the season, he's gotten to where about the first three games, he was kind of running east to west a lot and trying to break everything outside. And then in the last two games, just how he's matured until – so he's running you know, mostly north and south and, and just looks a lot more like a, a college running back that's ready to carry a team.
0: Yeah, I agree, definitely. Um, my first uh, positive takeaway from this game was uh, the first drive, to me, was very, very encouraging as far as we saw what Blackman could do throwing it. We saw some quick reads from him. We also saw FSU's offense execute flawlessly, and I know it's scripted, but the Florida State got push on third and shorts. We got uh, They continued to move the chains uh, and convert on third down, which they have not been good in so far this year. They ended up stalling out a little bit for the rest of the game, but I think that first drive, and especially Blackman's start to the game, I believe he started nine for nine as opposed to in Miami and NC State and even Wake Forest, we saw slow starts from him. So it was definitely more encouraging to see a, a, a fast start out of the gate from the young quarterback.
1: Um, I agree. I think um, overall, just kind of seeing how uh, the defense, the way that they limited Duke, I guess, to a certain extent, was kind of promising. But there's a flip side to that as well. I really can't think of any. I I guess I'll go with one more. Auden Tate, um, Mr. Consistent, his fifth touchdown in five games, just continues to look like a a receiver that's really going to be an NFL caliber receiver when it's all said and done. And he's really just a, a great security blanket for James Blackman now. And I think there's no question that, that James Blackman is most comfortable when he's throw, throwing the ball to Auden Tate.
0: I agree. I have a question. Why do you think they don't haven't been targeting Tate more? Uh, against Miami, he was kind of ghost. Uh, they targeted him, well, for start off, they targeted him like 12 times in the first half against NC State. He had a hell of a game. I know that's when he was 100% healthy, but still – since then, Miami, he didn't really get targeted at all until he had the game-winning, or go-ahead, touchdown. Would have been, been game-winning touchdown. Uh, he had a touchdown the first drive of, of this Duke game, but then they kind of went away from him also. And not to say that they're not throwing to him or whatever, and but I, honestly, I was at the game against Duke, and the, safe, the coverage wasn't like, they were not, they didn't have him bracketed. Uh, they only had one safety a lot of the times and no safety. Sometimes, and one time, uh, specifically, I remember they had no safety and press, and they didn't even look at Tate's side of the field. So I'm just wondering why we've seen, maybe he's not healthy enough, but the one time they did throw it up to Tate against Duke on Saturday, it was uh, the DB was all over him, and it was an obvious pass interference, which they called. So I thought, especially, like you said, an NFL receiver still playing in college or whatever, I'm not sure why they're not utilizing him more. Kind of like they did Dalvin last year, they knew they had an NFL running back, So they fed him as much as they possibly could while they still had him, but it seems like they're kind of um, not doing that with Tate, and I'd like to see it more going forward.
1: I really think it's just health. I mean, even on that touchdown against Miami, you kind of saw how awkward he was catching that ball, and he didn't want to extend his arm at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think just the big thing right now is that he's, he's not healthy, and they're trying to kind of protect him, I guess, by only giving him the ball in certain situations. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that's got to play some role into it. But I, I don't think that's the only reason why there's got to be I, – I don't think it's something that's, like, scripted to where they're not throwing Tate or, or kind of using him as a decoy. There's just – I guess it's just an injury combined with some other circumstances I think would be my guess on that.
0: Okay. And then my last good thing, um, I will say that just to give him some props, Jaquez Patrick is running hard, man. I think he's finally becoming what Jimbo wanted him to be. He was dragging tacklers all day Saturday. And I know Akers is the flashy one and the one that you feel like you can score when you hand him the ball. But as far as moving the chains goes and getting seven, eight yards per run, um, almost, I don't want to say guaranteed because, of course, you get stopped behind the line. But once he breaks through, he just drags people. So I definitely um, shout out to Jaquez Patrick. I know he didn't get a lot of love from the fan base. It's hard when you have a polarizing... Uh, Back like Cam Akers. It's hard for Jaquez Patrick to get the love he deserves, but he's definitely performed better than I would have thought he, he would this season.
1: I definitely agree. I, I think that if it were me calling the plays, I think that I would probably, in terms of total touches, maybe not just run carries, I'd probably go like three, two acres. And I, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's probably about, you know, one to one right now. So, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely comfortable. And like you said, Patrick's earned his his touches he, you know he's been good this year and, and and he's finally kind of developed into what everybody wanted him to be or thought he could be coming out of high school so Jimbo
0: I, Jimbo also said in the presser that Patrick has been um absolutely almost flawless I guess I don't remember his exact word but he praised him for a good minute on how good he's been in pass blocking and like helping with the rhythm and timing of the offense And I know that sometimes can be coach speak, but he he gave a few specific examples of just making sure chipping on certain guys and coming around on twists and and really knowing which gaps he's supposed to be helping with and how that's helped um, Blackman and the offense, especially against Duke. But do you have any more good um, takeaways from this game or do you want to move into the negative?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to flip to the other side of this coin.
0: Okay. So where are you starting off?
1: Uh, I'll start off with the fact that the defense couldn't get off the field. It, it was it wasn't a horrible effort by the defense on the day, but giving up over five yards of play. I think it ended up being like five point zero eight to Duke, and, and really a Duke offense that, that is just not good. You know, like some of those offenses at small schools, they have you know one of those guys that's just a baller, and, and he can kind of hurt you on the day. Like Toledo, and like yeah, I guess, so. like Toledo. But then, like you know, just giving some recent examples. I mean, like exactly like a Kareem Hunt at Toledo. You know, just you know whether the receivers or running backs, just a guy that can kind of ball out against anybody and kind of do that. But Duke just doesn't have one of those guys. They don't have that type of playmaker. And the fact that the defense gave up over five yards of play to them, which isn't horrible, but when you account for the opponent, it's pretty bad. And, well, we
0: said this in the, pre, in the pregame last week in our podcast. We said that we could definitely see FSU come out, not give up a lot of points, but have a, a defense that looks pretty uninspired and doesn't play that well. So,
1: yeah, it def- I think it definitely came true. I think you saw some – I mean, I don't know what you want to call it, um, whether you want to definitely label it lack of effort, but I, I just don't think I, – I don't know if it was necessarily a lack of effort as much as it was a lack of intensity. I
0: will of, say, I want to ask Nick this later, but I will say, I don't understand why, as a player, you only have 12 games a season. I know, as a fan, I don't want to miss any games just because, regardless of how the season's going or how the team looks, we only have 12 of them, and then we have to wait for seven, eight months or whatever for the next one, right? So I don't understand why these guys are, like, out of the tunnel against Duke. They looked, like, unbelievably, like, uninspired and like they didn't did not care then out of the, jogging out into the second half they were like it was like I just couldn't imagine like they didn't they just looked like they did not have any desire to be there like nobody was fired up Djax was a little fired up out of the second half I don't know why but other than that I mean everybody jogging out of the tunnel looked like it was like they were jogging to a funeral I and then also one more one more instance was on the last play of the game. I don't know if you saw this. You could definitely see it in the stadium there wasn't an ounce of celebration from the team or the fans on the breakup of the hail mary. It was kind of just like a all like I get like a sh- not even a sh- like a sigh of relief. I don't know like kind of just everybody shrugged and was like okay, I guess I guess it's over now. The defense was not. I mean against Wake Forest, I, you remember they were jumping up and down, let's go, like, whatever. And everybody's saying, oh, we just beat Wake Forest and we're acting like that. But we beat Duke and we didn't even care, like, at all.
1: I, I think there's – I don't know. I think it's a complicated issue. I think part of it is that, like, we've talked about this before. I don't think there's a real leader of this team, a vocal leader of this team, really, on either side of the ball. I, I do not think that there's that Telvin Smith – and these guys are rare, but I don't think there's a Telvin Smith, Jameis Winston – type personality on this team like not even close to that really like I couldn't I couldn't when you struggle to determine who your who your vocal leader is on both sides of the ball that you kind of end up. who would you say
0: just out of curiosity who would you say right now I think I might say Jaquez Patrick and Darwin James if I had to give and I'm not saying either of them are exceptional leaders I'm just saying if I had to say who the two leaders were who would you who would you say
1: I mean, I think I'd definitely go Derwin on defense, but even even he hasn't. Like, I mean, you remember his freshman year, he seemed a lot more, I, I guess. I do, more, I do. In 2015, he, he was. Yes, I agree. Year, that was as a freshman. This year, he he's needed to assume that leadership role and be that vocal leader, and he just, like, has not it. And it, it's been weird. Like, you know, everybody going into the year, he was named the number one player in college football by S.I., and, and you know, was ranked up there by a lot of media publications. And not that he's been bad this year, but he hasn't been great. And he just hasn't been, you know, that type of leader that everyone expected him to be because of the way that he played his freshman year and the way that, that he kind of... You know, he led
0: on the, the sidelines last year, too. Like, everybody exactly. always talked about that. But I guess, um,
1: and then I like, don't know. Another thing I think might go into that is there's been, I guess... I think there might be some dissension within the locker room, especially after the loss to Miami. Yeah. You you know, I I'm not necessarily player to player, but th- I think there's some turmoil within the program right now. I think that's pretty clear to everybody who follows yes. it. And I think that kind of might eat into it, but I mean, not to speculate too much, but I think that that's something that, that's going to be relevant in this scenario. Okay,
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, for my bad thing, I'll say I didn't like how – I, especially after we talk, well, let me say it first. I didn't like how James Blackman handled some of the third and third and long situations, as far as um, not taking care of the ball. We talked about this two weeks ago, or maybe last week, where you were questioning Jimbo's third down call against Miami, um, and I and I, and we and we were both saying that he needs to be more aggressive. But maybe the the reason he isn't is because Blackman on the second drive of the game, or maybe third, FSU had a chance to go up ten nothing. Early, early in the game, and they're at the 30-yard line, I believe. And, and Blackman threw a um, interception on third and 20 to Nooney, who there was a miscommunication, but he was also covered.
1: It was on it was on Blackman, I think. I think yeah. it was an option route, and the corner the corner was playing outside leverage, and Nooney yeah. cut in, and Blackman yeah. threw it out. I think yeah, it but even
0: Blackman. if even if um, I understand what you're saying with the option route, but even if he threw it to Nooney cutting in, I don't think he had him. Um,
1: he might not have. I don't, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah.
0: I don't know why he's trying to force that there. So that's one That's one instance. That's one bad. And then also the other pick, um, kind of the same scenario, third and long. I think he was trying to throw it away, but his internal clock wasn't very good. He ended up getting tackled from behind and kind of floated the ball up in the air. Um, you just got to take uh, better care of the ball. Other than that, though, let's see. He was, I think, 19 of 22 on the day.
1: No, I think it was 18. Uh, like eighteen eight of 20 21. twenty-one.
0: Okay, eighteen of twenty-one yeah. with two picks. So if take away the two picks, that and were he's bad eighteen decisions. of nineteen. Oh, they were bad decisions. And he's eighteen of nineteen. So if Blackman could just clear that stuff up, I mean, he's got the potential to be. Um, and I think that's I don't know, a, special.
1: That's that's the um, the co- like the reason for optimism around Blackman. You, you know, right now he's still he's still not throwing into tight windows. He's still not really anticipating guys coming open.
0: Although he did more. He has definitely grown in that. Like, he I, had Izzo on a nice third down.
1: I agree. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I, I hit on this in the Instant Analysis podcast. Yeah. I, he, yep. he, he definitely, it, on that one drive that, that Florida State ended up scoring on, he kind of grew up. You, he made a couple of those tight window throws over the middle. And I, I don't know if that's Jimbo kind of trusting him more and, and, and allowing to cut him, cut him loose in these situations and, and calling some more plays that call for routes. You know crossing routes but um i think that he's definitely maturing in that regard and if he continues to prove improve you know he's definitely got the potential to be a really good college quarterback because that dude's accuracy when he's i was just time, about to say is impressive like how many
0: was, open receivers has he missed like i don't think many. i can't think of one like maybe in the flat like in the first game against yeah. nc state he wasn't he wasn't spectacular throwing those those quick routes but that's less to do with accuracy really and more like timing and and knowing exactly where to throw but like as far as like having an open receiver, like I know Florida um, is dealing with like Felipe Franks missing open receivers all the time, and I mean other schools. That's just something in college football. You're not going to have many quarterbacks that have great accuracy. But so far, Blackman has shown that if somebody's open, he's going to hit him and hit him um, pretty, pretty with pretty good ball placement as well.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and just like a, I, I kind of throw that that was really. Just a great example of that was the dart that he threw to Nooney that got called back because Nooney yep. lined up and covered Izzo. But, yep. you know, that was a deep crossing route, and he put that thing on a line pretty much in perfect position for Nooney to catch it and keep running. You know, it wasn't behind him or anything. And I think that's just become a common thing with Blackman, and his accuracy is something that he is a natural skill that he has, and it's not something that's going to go anywhere.
0: Yeah, I agree. Do you have it which is uh, in like starch contrast to, to Francois whose only real major major knock was that people didn't know if he could develop accuracy because that's usually something you either have or you don't. so it's nice to have a quarterback who has that inherently. Um, but do you have any other negatives? I know you kind of went with the all-encompassing statement of the defense looking unimpressive so are there any other defensive uh, negatives you took away from this game or offensive negatives?
1: I mean, not really. The, the offensive line held up for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they were kind of better, even though they were down one lane to Dickerson. So, um, the last thing
0: I'll say is, not to beat a dead horse, but I know you talked about this last week, is I don't know why Tavares McFadden returns punts. Not only because he can't return it once he catches it, but also because he lets the ball bounce in front of him I would say, what, 40% of the time at this point? Probably
1: more than that. Like, to be it is – it's it's,
0: I'm a big Tavares McFadden fan. He's from Broward County. Uh, I remember I watched him play in high school, so I've always been a supporter of his. But as a, as a punt returner, it's just questionable why Jimbo leaves him back there. And you have to think, with a team full of as many athletic DBs and wide receivers as Florida State has and running backs, I don't know why the hell he has to return punts. And it's not – 100% Tavares McFadden's fault. I mean, he's not at that, like, quick twitch, shifty of a guy. So I don't know why he's back there. And he clearly hasn't shown that he can, like, control the everything that comes with being a punt returner as far as catching the ball to save field position when they're losing what? I mean, seemingly 50 yards well, uh, on uh, a game, game I'm per saying, punt. Yeah, 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 yeah per game. punt. So what, if he does it three or four times, 15 yards, I mean, six, 60 yards a game. It's kind of...
1: I agree totally, and the thing is, is that scratching. is that the the issue has been addressed and the questions have been asked of Jimbo in his press conferences, and he seems to legitimately think that Tavars McFadden is a satisfactory punt returner. And not to get too much into discussion about the state of the program, but I think that's one of the things that really has me worried about the program going forward under Jimbo Fisher is the fact that he he is someone who preaches hidden yards and their importance, and, and you know hidden yards are. are, are largely tied to special teams and as someone who preaches the importance of hidden yards how he can continuously leave a guy back there that costs the team like you said probably you know about 50 yards a game just because he won't step up and catch a punt it is pretty insane to me and that's you know worrisome that that Jimbo has convinced himself or, or thinks that that's something that that you can kind of go forward with as a program and have that have that be something that that is, you know, a, a, a hallmark of your program. I, that, that's just a a big problem to me. And I also I also just think that, I mean, how, it, you've got to be able to find someone that can return punts on your roster. I mean, from the yeah, dudes, there's a
0: laundry list of players we could do: Levante Taylor, DJ Matthews, Amir Rasul. Um, I mean, there's so many who returned him in high school.
1: I agree. I mean, and and the thing is, is is just think where we came under Jimbo's tenure from having Greg Reed, who was a threat to house one every time he touched it, to like being to settling with a guy that not only is he not a threat to house it in any sense of the word, but I think his
0: longest return is four yards. Yeah, on the uh, season, his longest return is four yards. He's
1: not. He's not an athlete that's meant to return punts. Kicks. Kicks. He might have a better thing, but maybe. But for punts, you got to be quick twitch. Because you know it, those guys, the, the coverage team is going to be on you most of the time when you're catching the ball in, in a pretty quick manner. And, and in general, like in general, the one thing you need from your punt return man is to be able to make the first guy miss. And there is no no chance that T Mac is doing that right now. He just he's a long strider. He's not a quick twitch guy that's going to make anybody miss.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Um. Now, yeah. What do you say about let's get Nick Moody on? What do you think?
1: Yeah, that sounds great. It's going to cool. be interesting to see what he's got to say about the program and kind of the differences he sees on defense from when he played for Florida State um, versus now. Now it's Jeff Demps. Oh, did he get popped? Left his feet and was de by Nick Moody.
0: We'd now like to welcome special guest, former FSU linebacker and current NFL linebacker Nick Moody. How's it going, Nick?
2: It's good. I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Pretty good, brother. Pretty good. So uh, I know you're training a lot. How's training going now? I know you trained down in Miami. Yeah,
1: it's
2: going great. I mean, it's been going great for some time. But I, I mean, I I enjoy training. I like putting in the work. And just and just getting the, doing the training every day. After a while, it kind of gets repetitive, and it's like, all right, I'm ready to get going for real somewhere now.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you spent time with San Francisco, Seattle, Washington. What was your favorite destination? Yeah. Who do you like playing with the most?
2: I say, I would say San Francisco especially with the group of guys I was with with that team I was on with Pat Willis, Navarro Bowman, Justin Smith, Cap, Frank, Anquan, and everybody like that. I, that was, I just had, it, it was a great time like just being around those guys and seeing how, how they handled a business every day in and day out. And then the different advice they gave and like everything about it was a great experience. I learned so much being, just being around them and we had fun. Like we were, we were real good. Like we were one of the best teams in the league. It was the, at a time when the best rivalry to watch was uh, San Fran in Seattle. So it wasn't yeah. like, and then hard we had hardball, like it was going, it was great. I had, that was a great, that was a great two years.
0: Uh, you, were, you were on that team with Kaepernick, right? How was he as a guy? I mean, I don't know, as a teammate, how is he, obviously he likes to uh, stand up for what he believes in and, and you got to appreciate that as a teammate, I assume. So what was that like?
2: Oh, yeah, Cap was cool, man. I really liked Cap. Uh it was, like, when he came out and started doing the, the taking the knee thing, I was going. I was actually, like, I don't know why. At first, I was like, oh, man. I, I was like, is this Cap? I was like, Cap, really doing this for real? <laughs> like, and then I talked to a couple guys that were still there, and they're like, yeah, they're like, this is for real. Like, they're like, he really believes, and, like, he has to stand up for something. Like, he, he this is what he believes in. But, like, and he, even uh, after my our, my rookie year, he was down here in Miami training, too. So we even trained together in all season in Miami. One off season, so I'll spend a good amount of time with Cap. I'm a big fan of Cap. I definitely think he should get a chance somewhere soon.
1: Awesome, um, yeah. Uh, Nate, do you still keep in touch with uh, Nigel Bradham, Terrence Brooks, Telvin, EJ Manuel, Devontae, or Vince any of those guys that you play with at Florida State?
2: Yeah, I keep in contact with all of them. Like, I mean, like, you football is like we're like brothers and stuff, and like, and, and you just named like, like me, and, me and Nigel and and T. Brooks in particular and EJ, like, I'm really, really close to, like, Naju and T. Brooks and EJ. Like, me, especially since I'm down here in Miami and Naju lives down here too. So it's, like, our relationship hasn't changed since we were in college. So it's, like, it's really, like, it's, like, a it's like brothers. Like, especially – and T. Brooks too. Like, T. Brooks' son is my godson and and, like, we all keep in touch.
0: Do you talk to any current players on the FSU football team? Obviously, you're a few years removed now. But do you keep in touch with any of the current guys?
2: Not as much. I probably feel like I should do more. I I I've talked to Derwin a few times, like maybe a couple times. That's it. Uh, he was down here. Uh, that was when I mean, he was down here, and then I talked to um oh Nazir Upshaw because yeah. he's from Philly too. So he I was actually I actually went and stopped by at, and saw him at Imhotep his high school mm-hmm. when Jimbo and Coach Trickett were there. When they were visiting the school, I dropped in at the same time because I had just I had just got back to Seattle. When that was going on, like, I had just got back after the season or something. And I i really went from, I think I went straight from the airport, straight to his high school.
0: That's pretty dope. I bet, I bet uh, Nas appreciated an NFL player going to watch him play with Jimbo. That's pretty
2: sweet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was uh, when they were going to, I guess, when the final the ended recruiting in the wintertime, when it was already, everything was already sealed and everything. Everything was, already, everybody knew he was locked, and that's where he was going to go. And Matt and Thomas, too. I spent some time with uh, Tom, Matt Thomas this summer because uh, of, of Telvin. Telvin was down here, and then I met with him being from here. Uh, he brought him by my place, and we actually hung out for like a couple of days, off the three of us and a couple of other friends.
0: What do you think of uh, Matt and then Derwin also as, just, as people?
2: I mean, they're good people. I mean, I can't say anything negative about them. I mean, they're great guys. That's good to hear.
1: Do you have any thoughts on, on the current team in terms of, uh, you know, what it's looking like on the field and, and maybe some things that they need to work on kind of close strong down the down the stretch? Uh,
2: I would say, like, the main thing is just to, to play with, like, a, more uh, – I, I wouldn't say – it more physicality. There's a little more physicality if, uh, I'm looking for. Because sometimes even when if you're not in the right situation, or you might have made a mistake. You can sometimes you'd be able to make up for it a little bit. But I remember even with Coach Andrews when we when I was with him, like that was one way you can kind of like make yourself look a little bit better in the coach's eyes. It kind of makes up for a mental mistake, especially because the way it's going now, it's like it's definitely not what we all expected. That's for sure. And um, it's just execution. I say I'd say like mental assignments. I mean, it, it doesn't. It's things like that. And then I was wondering about and the end of the Miami game was just like. It was almost like a situational thing. A lot of us talked about it. A lot of us former players were like, okay, all right, we're at the end of the game. They need to score to win. They're going to put it in the end. they're going, to, it's going to, the ball's going to the end zone. Why are we in press coverage? Like it's just it's like certain little things you look at from the outside, you come, it almost makes you question. You start questioning stuff too much, I think. And then you really have to like look at it and be, like, okay, the main reason we're focusing on all this other stuff now is because it's more Right now, it kind of looks like it's more negative just focus on it, instead of the positive. Once DeAndre went down, it's like everybody all of a sudden got negative about everything. Like you're like the, everything was over with. And it's just like I feel like they they have the talent and ability. It's just that they just got to go out there and execute and give everything they got. They can definitely turn this thing around this season. I mean, Syracuse beat Clemson, and like everybody knows that Syracuse doesn't have the talent that we have. And if they put their minds to and execute and things like that they'll be able to do some good things this season still.
0: Absolutely. What do you think of James Bachman uh, so far, the freshman quarterback? I, I know you've seen him play. What do you think of him?
2: I'm a big fan of him. I like him a lot. So I like the way I, I love the way he throws his deep ball. He's, he's accurate. Uh, he just, I mean, obviously, he needs to put on some weight. He's tough, as you can tell by that shot he took this week. Um, I, I like him. I think he's going to be a good one. And then I, I talked to Tino. Tino's Chino, a fan of him, too. Tino Sanceri. Yep. Me and him, me and him are actually that's one of my boys. We talk pretty often, and he tells me so. I, that's how I get like some of a lot of what's going on with the players and stuff like that. So I still talk to a couple of people that are still there, so I kind of know what's going on and whatnot.
1: Can you give us a little bit of insight on on what Tino's like as a guy? Cause he's become uh, kind of a, a folk hero for some uh, Florida State fans, and, and people are looking to kind of for him to be on staff maybe as a as a uh one of the ten coaches that, that Florida State's yeah. allowed in the next coming years.
2: Tino Tino's on track to be a head coach, to be one of them I feel like just talking to Tino and knowing him as a guy, he's definitely one of the people I can see being like where it's like, okay, you turn on the T V and it's like, oh, here goes showing Tino Sinceri, the the thirty the thirty three year old offensive coordinator at whatever big time school. You know how it goes, like everybody Gets promotions, they go from school to school to school. Yep. I could definitely see Tino like in the near future at a at a at a big program uh, being in a, a higher position. Like and his and it's just his, his ambition and his passion for it is unbelievable. Like he loves coaching, he loves working with the guys, he loves helping the guys out. Like this, he like he does. He loves this. He loves it.
0: What what uh, positions do you think Tino could coach? I know he helps out with quarterbacks, but do you think he could coach any offensive position or?
2: I definitely, like the skill position for sure. I know okay. that. And as a coordinator, and I think, I think like he'll be able to be a coordinator like very soon. Especially being a former quarterback himself, the quarterback they look at the game differently.
0: Yeah, I, I I, I, I could see that. Um, so you said you talked to Tino a lot. Uh, what's your relationship like with Jimbo? Do you still keep in touch with him? How How was your relationship while you were there?
2: Our relationship was good while we were there. Uh, last time I talked to Jimbo was when I was actually in Tallahassee uh, earlier this spring summer. I was down there I, I was, for a couple of days. I stopped in Tallahassee, so I saw Vic and I saw I saw the whole staff because actually when I got to the stadium the t- at the time I got there and went to go see everybody, they were in a staff meeting, so I literally got to see everybody at one time.
0: So, but and then I
2: went.
0: It's a lot of I'm new going. people there now, right? All the, like for, from your staff. Uh, your staff was more Stoops and and the guys that went with Stoops to Kentucky, before. Yeah. Like you didn't have Charles Kelly, right?
2: No, I didn't. But the thing is, even though I wasn't with them guys, it's, it's like just the I love the way that they welcome us with open arms to come back to the program, even though they didn't, even know they weren't there to actually coach us. You would never think that they didn't actually coach us the way they how they treat us when we come uh, when we come back.
1: Yeah,
0: it's a big family. Uh, what is uh, yeah. Coach Vic like behind the scenes? Because obviously he's a He's a he gets hyped during the sidelines, and that's all we really get to see. We don't really get to see him in the summer. So, what's he like as a strength coordinator?
2: Shit, he, he's gonna get everything out of you. I mean, I to working with Vic. I mean, you, you'll hear some people love working with Vic, some people hate working with Vic. Working with Vic, uh, but he, he's gonna push you. He's gonna push you to try and do what you're capable of. And if he sees something, if he sees somebody that has more in them and they're not and they're not using it, they're not giving it more, giving it what they got. Giving all they have to reach their potential, he's gonna let you know. Like he's gonna be straight up with you. He used to play too, uh, so he knows like certain the different issues that players go through. He's good at relating to players because he was in our shoes. So I actually spent a lot of time with Vic when I was at, when I was at FSU. I was in there all the time. I feel like I was with. I, I like being with. I was in Vic's office more than I was in study hall. Honestly, I went to him all the time. Sometimes I would just go and chill in there with him and the staff. When I had free time, like around lunch and stuff like that, if I didn't have time to go home, yeah, I loved, I loved it and the energy and everything.
1: So we had um, we've had Jacoby McDaniel and James Wilder Jr. on so far, and they talked about um, the teams, uh, kind of when you were there having that dog mentality, um, even during practices in terms of you know um, you know getting some contact in practices even when they weren't necessarily supposed to be. So um, <laughs> you having been a part of that. How can the team bring that juice back to you know practicing and just that culture into, into the program?
2: I Man, that's kind of that's kind of hard to say. It's not like we can't like pinpoint one specific thing. It's like it's like a mixture of things, like the, the group of guys, the group of guys there are, and how, like what kind of guys they are. Sometimes you get more of a group of guys that are more aggressive. Sometimes you get some that aren't as aggressive. But I feel like as a whole, it's just like. They could come with more energy. They come with more energy, and it's just treat everything like it's a game and everything is a competition. If you treat it like it's a real competition or a game, that's going to come out. Because when we were in practice, we used to compete. We used to go against the offense like it was a game, and we used to love to try to piss Jimbo off by trying to stop the offense. We used to love it when Jimbo would start snapping and cussing everybody out on offense and yelling at them. It was like all right, we're doing what we're supposed to do because Jim was over there pissed. <laughs> and it's like, and then you're like, and the thing is, the talent you went against, you're like, all right. I gotta practice hard, or I'm gonna look. This dude, he gonna make me. He's gonna make me look stupid. Like, I can't not practice hard. I'm not gonna let this dude. I'm not gonna let him run me over. I'm not gonna let him get open on me like that. Like, I used to. And my favorite thing, I love padded practices. They, they'll tell you anybody that was there when I was there, tell me I, I love the padded practice. Me and Vince, like Wilder. You asked Wilder and Von they too. They said they used to hate. They used to hate us in practice. <laughs> When we used to be able to be live. I used to live for that and practice. But that was the only time practice was really fun like that for me was live. And I love goal line situation and all that. We used to we used to run the goal line, and I don't know. I just feel like some of the stuff, some of the I guess the drills and stuff we would do were more of the contact drills. I don't know if everything is still the same or not with the drills. But I remember some of the things we would do in spring ball, and it was more competitive contact type stuff. And I feel like that builds that kind of character and foundation.
0: Hopefully this team can get back to that.
2: Uh, yeah. As
0: far as we play Louisville this weekend, so uh, that's a noon kickoff in Tallahassee. What do you think of the matchup? What do you think of Lamar Jackson and how I know he beat us 63 to 20 last year. So what do you think of that matchup this Saturday?
2: They better be ready to play with everything they got to stop him. Man, uh, the guy's an amazing player, but we de- we have the talent to do what to win. Everybody knows that. It's that we, they got to go out there and execute and play hard and play physical, and they can't. And, like, and the thing is, Louis—they owned us last year, so they—they they know that too. I mean, everybody knows that, so they got. I think like we have to go out there and prove that last year was a fluke, and then we're and then also that we're uh, better than our record.
1: Did you face anybody in your college career that kind of reminds you of like a Lamar Jackson? And how were you taught to? Or what was the emphasis kind of leading up to that? And how to defend a dual threat guy like that?
2: Yeah, for going against Tyrod and and Russell. It was definitely like that. Everybody, everybody stay on their assignments and they run the read options. It's like if you, if if you uh, on the quarterback, don't chase the running back. Just do your job. You put, when am playing guys like that, you got to do your job. Everybody has to stay in their rush lanes. Coverage has to hold up. Sometimes you might have to hold up a little bit longer. And you got to be ready for that when the guy can the guy can make time with his feet. And that's always hard to defend. You got to thing the biggest thing with that is just discipline to me. Discipline. To everybody stay on top of their assignments.
0: So, do you think FSU? You th- are you predicting FSU to win this weekend? And if so, do you have a score?
2: I'm predicting them to win because I'm a homer, but
0: but
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a score. I don't have a score for you. All right. So you got you got uh,
0: FSU in a close one or a big win? Close one. Okay. Cool. Uh, last question. We're saving the best for last for you here.
2: Mm-hmm. So that
0: hit you had against the Gators, against Jeff Demps. Is that your favorite yeah. football memory of all time? Because that's one of the, the biggest hits in the rivalry history and one of the biggest hits of the Jimbo Fisher era at FSU and one of the biggest hits yeah. in FSU history. So what is that memory like yeah. for you?
2: I mean, that's a great memory. People random, Randomly, people ask, they tell, ask tell me about that all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember you you hit that guy from Florida. They don't even really watch college football like that, but I always watch the Florida teams play. And I I said, I'll never forget that. Like it, it happened, it happens randomly. Like last week, I'm at a place and somebody like, "Oh yeah, you the dude that hit Dips." I mean, it was a it's a great memory. But I feel like I had some other hits. Um, like well, I know everybody. Some people think, "Oh, it's messed up," but like, luckily he's healthy. He's okay. He got he ended up being all right. Was when I hit Brandon Clay from Oklahoma. Oh
0: that yeah, that was
2: one of my favorite ones. Oh yeah, that one and then and. Did you say favorite hit or just favorite plays?
0: Yeah, favorite plays.
2: Oh, and then the, of course the pick six from Maryland.
0: Yep, I was I was
2: gonna you know, ask yeah, you about was, that next. Well, yeah. So I would say the pick six from Maryland, the Dems hit, and then the hit on Brandon Clay. Glad he ended up being okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> was my top three, I think.
0: What What was the biggest rivalry that you like? What game did you get the most hype for? What game talked the most trash? all that stuff because people say it's Miami mean, people say it's Florida it might be clumsy now what do you think it was when you were there
2: I would say Florida and Miami when well, when I was there especially because like when we, like most of us that were there like when we were younger when we were like in middle school elementary school so like that it was like when Miami was like Miami was like the best like everybody wanted to go to Miami so it was, like, you, even that that added more to it, too, because, like, you kind of – and then a lot of times coming to college, you ended up either picking between – that was one of the choices, like Miami, Florida State, Florida, somewhere in there. So that brought more to the game, too. Uh, but I can – during the T-Bow years, it was miserable. <laughs> uh,
0: you only played T-Bow once, okay. right,
2: 2009? Yeah. That was my red shirt. I was the freshman year. I was I had the shoulder shirt, got red shirt, so I didn't play. And that was – I didn't really like thinking about that game. That was terrible. And then he got up with the pain on his face and oh, yeah. screaming yeah, with his helmet off.
0: T- we don't have to talk about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a little PTSD for all of us there. Yeah.
0: Right? God damn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I hear it all the time because down here in Miami, I train with Marcus Gilbert and Carlos Dunlap. Oh yeah. And we ha- yeah, we hang out together. So whenever that, whenever whenever it comes up. Whatever the topic of us playing them or who's better and us talking trash, that always comes up every time. Carlos loves to bring that up. All
0: right, well I think that's all we got for you today, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, definitely lo- would like to have you back on later in the season or in the off season if you have time. You you answered some great questions. Definitely a great guest. So really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: No problem. It was great having Nick Moody on tonight. You provided a really interesting perspective on the direction of Florida State's program and kind of what's changed as far as uh, the defense um, in Florida State's program. So without further ado, just want to get into talking about the Louisville matchup and kind of what we expect from the game this weekend.
0: Absolutely. So Louisville, Florida State, uh, Florida State Open is a seven-point favorite, Uh, quite curiously, uh, I might add. And... Louisville's uh, the over under for the Louisville game is 56 points. So that if you do the math that Vegas pro- projects FSU to win by about about a score of like 31 to 24, 25 whatever. So how how do you see is there any way that FSU holds Louisville to 24 points, Ethan?
1: Zero chance. No Absolutely chance, right? Zero zero chance. Um, Even if they
0: come out and play super inspired, which I think like it's it's in the realm of possibility. I don't think they will. But uh, like, so let's just for for well, let's just say they do. Let's say they come out and play like they did against Miami. They gave up 24 points to Malik Rozier. Oh, I agree. I, I, so I, I don't I don't know where. I know Louisville's offensive line isn't good. I know their receivers are worse than Miami's. I know they don't have the running backs the Miami's do. But in college football, the ultimate equalizer is the quarterback position, and they have the best quarterback in college football this year, and they have the most dynamic quarterback in college football. In a long time, maybe since Michael Vick. I mean, I, I mean that's arguable. Um, but he, I don't see, as a team that scored 63 points against Florida State last year, Louisville's expected by Vegas to score about 24 this year. No, no chance.
1: I, I don't see it either. I, I I'm kind of on the fence whether I think this team. Like I think there's a better chance that this team comes out fired up against Louisville. Than they do against Duke. Like I mean, that's pretty obvious considering they put up sixty three points on Florida and State. And it's right a here. home and it's a home game, which and helps. Game. But I still, I'm still the fact, and the thing is, is the fact it's pretty sad that I'm questioning it. But I, 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 I think it's a legitimate question whether they do or they don't. Um, so, and I just don't think, especially with the way that Florida State's defense has kind of really been just exploited by. Dual-threat quarterbacks, which most defenses are exploited by dual-threat quarterbacks. They make everything harder on a defense. I I just don't think there's any way that Florida State holds Lamar Jackson to 24 points. I, I I think if you hold him under 30, if you hold that team under 30, then something, the defense played really well on the day. I don't know, really well, but the defense had to play fired up for them to hold them under 30. And there had to be some effort there from you know, the guy, you know, the whole team and just put in a pretty well-rounded performance to hold them under 30.
0: They're going to have the, I think it's going to, it's going to come down. If Florida State holds Louisville under 30, Louisville will have like five turnovers or something like that, you know? It'll just be one of those games because I don't see Louisville, FSU getting that many like legitimate stops, like honest fourth down punts from from a, an offense that, that is this uh, volatile, I guess you could say. I mean, Louisville, they've lost um, two games or – yeah, two game – three games this season, but have scored 35-47, 21 against Clemson, which in case you guys need reminded, uh, FSU's defense, defensive staff is not in the same place that they are in Clemson, South Carolina right now. 42-55, uh, 25 against NC State, which is somewhat encouraging for Florida State fans, uh, but that was at NC State on a Thursday night, and it got weird for sure. And then uh, 42 in a loss to Boston College last week. So I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of over talking about how the, the, what this defense can do because honestly, it's a crapshoot on Saturday. Um, you you just don't know from Florida State's defense who's going to show up and who's not, and it's kind of frustrating. But we can get into the, the, the aspects of the game as far as what who do you think, where do you think the advantages for Florida State lie, Ethan, and you could just start with one matchup you, you're looking forward to seeing and that you think Florida State can dominate.
1: I, I'm hoping that this weekend um, the defensive line kind of shows up. Um, sweat came to play last week and had a pretty good game, especially getting a couple sacks. But the lack of pressure from the defensive line has been pretty – On pass plays, absolutely. on yeah, pass plays hasn't been great this year. So I'm hoping, I guess, against a really weak Louisville offensive line that that the Florida State defensive line, especially guys like Sweat and Naughty, can, can kind of disrupt Lamar Jackson and, and kind of keep him contained by getting some, some pressure on him and kind of keeping him in the pocket by sacking him which is always a hard task, and that might force him outside the pocket and get him running, but I think if they disrupt him and don't let him kind of pick and choose when he can scramble and force him to scramble a little bit, I think they stand a better chance to win the game. So I think against a really weak Louisville offensive line, that's a must-have for Florida State if they want to win this game.
0: I agree, definitely. Uh, I think a matchup that Florida State, that actually bodes well for Florida State this year, that didn't last year, was the offensive line for Florida State should be able to – open up a lot of holes in the run game especially, but also hold up well in the pass protection against Louisville's front, which last year absolutely dominated Florida State. Uh, Florida State could not run the ball, even with Dalvin, for an inch. I think they finished the game with less than 50 rushing yards. Um, also, Francois did not have a second to throw. It was just a night uh, a nightmare that day for them. So I think this year, though, I mean, I know Boston College had rushed for I think close to 400 yards last week. And Florida State has, I don't know if you guys have heard of them, uh, Cam Akers, and obviously Jaquez Patrick, and the running, the the offensive line, despite all the scrutiny that the fan the fan base assigns to that unit, has actually played pretty well in every game except uh, the second half of NC State, and the the entire game against Wake Forest. But they were banged up. Also, I think Derek Kelly. We're waiting. We're still waiting to see, but I think he'll play Saturday which is definitely encouraging for Florida State.
1: I agree. I, I think that definitely. I, I think that pretty much if you want to boil it down to one matchup, I think that the, the Florida State being able to run the ball is going to kind of dictate.
0: The trenches will be huge.
1: Yeah, it will be. And I, I just think that if Florida State wants to keep up with Lamar Jackson, they're going to have to put up big numbers on the ground. And like we said, the offensive line has been pretty good this year when they're healthy. Dickerson's out for the year now, so you've kind of it's changed up a little, so it'll be interesting to see how Josh Ball holds up if he's out there at left tackle because um, Kelly's slid inside if Kelly's healthy. So I think there's a little bit of a question right now about the offensive line just in terms of health going into this game, but if Kelly plays and the offensive line's able to play how they did last week and how they did against Miami and open up some holes, there's no reason that um, both Patrick and Akers can have a really big day on the ground and, and hopefully keep Florida State in this game and, and kind of be able to go punch for punch with um, Lamar Jackson and, and the points that he's going to put up, you know, and, and just kind of inevitably.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, so Florida so Florida State has been kind of unpredictable this season as far as score predictions go, but uh, last week uh, I predicted FSU win won, win by 14, and I think you did too.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. You, I think you had it thirty-one. I just went a little you higher scoring than you did. 27-13, So yeah. Uh,
0: I think those were both pretty accurate. I think if Florida State would have had like a normal game possessions wise, I think they only had nine possessions and one of them was kind of trying to run out the clock at the end, so not necessarily trying to score although they could have. Um, I think if in a normal game we would have been pretty, I mean, pretty spot on as far as what, what we expected to see in that game. But in this game, I'll be honest, I don't really have a feel for it. Um, do you have a score prediction, Ethan, that you're ready to give? I think I'm going to go somewhere along the lines of um, uh, Louisville 38, Florida State 31, 34-ish. I think Florida State does get their points, but I think at the end of the day when the defense needs to get stops in the against Lamar Jackson in the fourth quarter or when it comes down to crunch time, I just think he's too dynamic. And Florida State's offense isn't dynamic enough to score quickly. Um, and I just like – this is my first time picking an FSU opponent, which is kind of ironic considering we played Alabama, Miami, and NC State, and Louisville's not nearly as good of a team as all those. I just think this is a horrible matchup for Florida State because Florida State can beat teams with good defenses and bad offenses, but I don't think Florida State is prepared to beat a team with an elite offense regardless of how bad their defense is.
1: I agree. I, I think that, that Florida State ultimately just doesn't have – the, the just the the consistency on offense to be able to put up points and go shot for shot with an offense like Louisville that has a playmaker like Lamar Jackson I think I'll just go with something forty one thirty one Louisville okay. I, I just okay. I don't have faith that this defense is going to be fired up in, enough to stop Lamar Jackson on a play to play basis and I mean it's going to be tough uh, Florida State this is a big game for the program and the thing is is you're caught in it you're caught in the situation where it's a big game for the program as a whole but i don't really know if there's a vibe around the players and, it's not a and, big game uh, for the team exactly that's, it's it, not it's a big game for the program but it's not a big game for the team and i think that's a really dangerous situation to be in so i, I, I just, agree i don't have a lot of a lot of kind of positive vibes with with me on on this game so i, I think i'm just gonna leave it at that
0: all right so ethan predicts 41 31 i'll lock in 38 34 um, both both predict FSU losses, certainly hope that that's not the case and we can uh, recap a win next week, but that does it for this episode of Hear the Spear, as always I'm Ryan Stalder, accompanied by my co-host Ethan Vaughn, and uh, we look forward to hearing, uh, talking to you guys next week and you can find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes and please, if you like the podcast uh, leave a review, tell us what you like and uh, five stars would be awesome and we really appreciate it that didn't get them a first down and after one play it cost him a touchdown now it's Jeff Dems Oh, did he get popped left his feet and was depleted by Nick Moody
2: <laughs> they're going to be
1: hitting down there in a rivalry game there was no question about that coming into this game and you get a little bit of momentum on defense.